Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right, let's jump into the Word. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, and we'll start in, uh, in verse 2. I'm getting crazy looks. <laughs> Matthew 20, 22, verse 2. I want to share a few thoughts with you before we jump into this text. Listen, I'm, uh, I'm super, super excited to jump into this new teaching series and to exalt Jesus through Holy Communion. And uh, let me just share this, that if, I don't know what your next few Sundays look like, but do your best to just leave them open and be here because every week we're going to be just unpacking this and looking at this from a new, a new perspective. And there are going to be things that you may have questions on, but I, I've, I'm confident that we'll probably cover a lot of that over these, next, over these next few weeks. Like today, the hardest thing for me was I had to keep stripping down the things that the Lord was, was sharing and just say, all right, God, I'll have to do this in another week. Um, today is, is an appetizer, <laughs> or literally, like I was thinking, it's, it's actually like the chips and salsa that you put out before even the appetizer. Like we are just, just going to skim the surface today on the, the magnitude of this table and what it represents that God desires to have a meal with us and how this reveals the heart of the Father to have communion with us. And so I just want to ask you just to lean in. If you have questions, man, I, I, I just know it's going to be beautiful Beautiful breakthrough. And before we jump into Matthew, and I want to talk to you today about the simplicity of come to the table, the power of an invitation that God invites everyone. He invites the popular and the unseen. He invites the social elites and the social outcasts. He invites every single person to come to this table and experience the sweetest of fellowship. And before we jump into that, I, I, I want to just share a few thoughts that are essential for really shaping the foundation of this week or of the weeks to come. And I feel like most of us, this, this is, it's so, it's so interesting. This has become so, such a religious thing. Like when the Lord's table comes out, it becomes one of the most stiff, uh, rigid times of the entire service. And it's actually not meant, not meant to be anything like that. Like this is so incredible that the Lord has prepared a table. He's prepared it. You can't bring anything to this. You can't buy this. You can only just come and yield and just say, I have a need, Lord. And the table is open for you. And, and so I feel like we all know growing up in some part of church, whether you went to Catholic Mass at some point in your life on Christmas or Easter, that you know that this is an essential part, right? The church, it says it's one of the two primary ordinances or sacraments. So we have water baptism and we have holy communion. A lot even know of scriptures um, such as Jesus says, do this in remembrance, right? So we know that Jesus tells us to do this. Paul actually said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So as often, he doesn't give us a prescription as how often, but we know that it's meant to be often. We know that the early church was actually marked by four top priorities. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. I wonder how many churches will actually look at this as an essential part. Here's my hope. My hope is that after this message, and actually the message is to come, that the local Christian bookstores are sold out of their communion sets. That you would see that this is something, and this is what the Lord stirred in my heart, that you would do daily in your own home with your families, and you'd see the power of Christ being present in this meal. 
But here's the thing, is that I feel like we know that we're supposed to do this, but the problem is that when something is done routinely or being done a lot, we all have the tendency to fall into the trap of it becoming very stale and religious. And what we need is the Spirit of God to breathe on us and breathe on this to catch the awe and wonder and the weight of what it is and what this actually means. Because if the early church made this a top priority, we need to step back and say, wait a minute, maybe we're missing something here. Maybe we're missing something. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe um, this is something that you've done because you've had to do it. Maybe it's almost superstitious in a way. Maybe it's kind of sentimental. It just gives good feelings of the Christian faith and growing up. Uh, Maybe when you take these elements, all you see is literally bread and juice like I have for so long. But again, I'm praying that, that the Lord would absolutely, absolutely breathe on this and it would change us. And we would see that this is actually, this is a weapon that God has given us. This is a weapon that God has given us to encounter him in a beautiful way. Here's, here's the really important thing I want to share before we look at this scripture. And this is, I'm not, I'm not here to, to knock anything, but because actually I think that we've lost something from the first 1,500 years of the church. But for the first 1,500 years of the church, primarily, it was known as one church, the Catholic church. Now we have over 30,000 denominations, whatever it is. But there was one church, and the primary belief The primary belief was that when you took this communion, the bread became the actual flesh of Jesus and the wine became the actual blood. It's called transubstantiation. Now, actually, I always thought that's crazy, but when you read the scriptures, these scriptures are powerful on how active Jesus is in this. And so we are not, though, we're not aligned with that, but I feel like the pendulum has swung so far to the other side that all we see now is something very ritual and ceremonial. There is symbolism here, but actually Paul said in Hebrews 13, 9 and 10, he says, or the writer of Hebrews, I should say something, it's Paul. It says, it's of to no benefit to partake in ceremonial or ritual food. And he's talking about a lot of things, but I think that principle applies to this. Because how often do we take this? Very ritual and like a ceremonial food. And there's something so much more than that. Jesus is actually present when we take this meal by faith. Paul, Paul said that we are to approach this table rightly. And we're going to talk, most of what I'm going to talk about today is just laying a foundation for things we're going to expound on. But Paul says approach the table, to come to the table rightly. We've put a fence around this table because we misunderstand that scripture. And we think that Paul is saying get right. And once you get right, you can come to the table. If that's the case, none of us can come to the table. Paul is saying you don't get right. In fact, if you've jacked up and you have sin in your life, you need to come to the table. What Paul is saying is approach the table rightly. In other words, have faith in the weight of what you are about to partake in. Here's the example I want to give. It's not just, we don't believe it's the literal thing, but we also believe that Jesus, it's more than just something uh, that's symbolic. And here's the example the Lord was speaking to me. We believe the scriptures say that one of the foundational teachings is actually laying on of hands, right? So I want you to picture this. Imagine Pastor Crystal was sick and I lay hands on her Uh, believing for healing, and she gets healed, right? You follow me? Did I heal Pastor Crystal? But did my hands become the literal hands of Jesus? No. But we know that the Bible said that when we do this act, if we come in faith, that the Spirit of Christ will be active, and he will actually touch her through me. See, when we come by faith to this meal, we don't believe this is actual Jesus, but Jesus becomes so present, and you begin to apply his blood freshly to your life. This is why there's testimonies I was reading in church history of revivals breaking out through communion. 
People being delivered and set free. They used to gather in the early, like this is early church, church fathers. They would gather on weekends just to talk about Holy Communion. There would be such expectation they'd have this supper. It's called the Agape Feast. And they would just commune and tell testimonies about the Lord. And at the end, they would take communion. People would fall under the power of God. Conviction would come upon people. Joy, salvation, healing, deliverance. Jesus was present here. I want to show you the scripture real quick just to, to hit this. And then, again, I'll just share a few minutes on Matthew 22. But if you could put on the screen, Christy, um, Luke 24, verses 30 to 31. I promise you, there is so much to see in the scriptures that uh, is going to be so good over these next few weeks. But I want you to see this. This is the story where there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had left Jerusalem where Jesus was just killed, buried, and they thought for sure this was the end. And so they were deeply, really depressed. They were hopeless. And it's interesting that while they're on this seven-mile journey to Emmaus, Jesus visits them, the resurrected Christ. Now, they, don't, they see him, but they don't recognize him. And it says that as they're walking, Jesus actually unpacks all of the scriptures of the Old Testament pointing to how the Messiah had to suffer this way. And so they're hearing these things. It says their heart's burning, but they still don't recognize Jesus. And finally, when they get to the end of this seven-mile journey, it says that they, they tell Jesus, or they don't know who it is yet, but they, they constrain him and say, stay with us. It's been a long day. It's night. Come have a meal. And Jesus comes inside the house and listen to this. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. What is that? That's, that's Holy Communion language. He blessed it. We're going to talk about that. This meal is blessed. This is so important. It is forever blessed. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And look what happened. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. It's a bizarre scripture. But when they receive the holy bread and they broke it and consumed it, they had an encounter with the manifest presence of Jesus. Check this out. This is amazing. Old Testament in the holy place was called the showbread. Have you any of you ever heard of that? Rabbis actually still have, uh, they, they, they debate over what it really means because you can't understand it without a full revelation of Jesus who is the bread of life. So there's the showbread there. In the Hebrew, showbread is broken into this, bread of presence. Have you ever read that in the Old Testament? Bread of presence. You know what presence, that word, is used interchangeably with face. That's why when we say seek the face of God, we mean seek the presence of God. Showbread is the bread of presence or the bread of face. Fast forward to this story. These men are looking at Jesus, yet they don't recognize him. But when they consume the bread of presence or the bread of face, they now see his face. They're, we need to, I'm, I'm just setting a stage that this table and in your own lives, we would approach this rightly that Jesus is here. Are you with me? So let's look at this scripture. Everyone got their Bibles open? You ready to learn? Yes. Someone. Come on. Matthew 22, verses 2 and 3. Here's what was on my heart. Come to the table. We may even, we're probably going to spend a few weeks just on this. The aspect of the table. We will get to unpacking the power of the blood, which deals with the power of sin. The body, the, the bread that deals with the effects of sin, the covenant that's resembled here and reflected here. But what I felt on my heart is to take a few weeks to actually just unpack the table. 
Like these elements could be found anywhere. In fact, we get really messed up because we just see a little piece of bread and a cup. This is called the Last Supper. This was actually a meal that Jesus desired to have with his disciples. And what I want you to see before we go into the specifics is just to take a step back and catch like the why behind this, the heart behind this. What I want you to see is that this is representative of a table, a meal, a dinner, which reflects the heart of God. There is, a, there is a sweet divine communion within the Holy Communion. The table actually represents God's deepest longing, which is communion with us. And it actually represents man's deepest need, which is communion with God. A table is a place where you have fellowship, you exchange meals, peace takes place over meals. Like this is profound that God has set up a table for us. And it's because at his heart he wants, he wants communion with us. Following that. So look at this, look at this. I want to just unpack this, the table and God's desire for us to come. It says in verse 2, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus giving a parable on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God, at the heart of it, the anchor of it, like the motor that drives it, it's not a pulpit. It's not even a mission field. Like I thank God for those things. That's what God has called me into. They're so essential to advancing the kingdom. But Jesus is actually saying that what sits at the heart of the kingdom is a table, a banquet, a feast, a meal. This is actually the strength of the kingdom and the church. All we do flows from this because it's in this place where we have communion with him. And most of the time we miss this and go into the doing and we start doing things for God without drawing life from him. But the kingdom is actually centered on a table. It's so profound. It's so counter to what we would think that this is what God is after. Why, why is the kingdom centered on a table, a meal, a banquet? Because at the center of the king's heart, is communion with you. Like above everything else, what he's desiring is fellowship. And so whether it's implicitly or explicitly through the scriptures, there is this unceasing cry in the Father's heart to come to a table. You've got to catch the weight of this because he's not, Jesus is not inviting us to a stuffy religious service. He's not even inviting us to just hear a message. I feel like we go on church websites, on our website, I'm like, man, we got to tweak this. What to expect? You're going to hear probably these things, a relevant message, uplifting music, and see really friendly faces. Now, I thank God for those things. They're important. That's great. I just believe the world is so broken and hurting, they need more than a relevant message. They need more than uplifting music. They need more to see friendly faces. I can hear a relevant message outside of the Bible somewhere else. I can hear uplifting music on the radio. I can see friendly faces at the gym. What the cry of the church must be is the cry of the Father and the kingdom, which is there has been every provision made for you to sit at the table with your creator and know him. And when you sit and dine with him, you will find everything your heart has ever longed for. We are robbing people to say, just come hear a good sermon. That's great, but come and know that your king wants to meet with you. 
This is the heart. And this table is representative of the Father's heart for us. It says, come, everyone, whoever you are, yield your life and come. I've opened myself up to you. This is good, good news. And I'm praying that the cry of this church would see this. Say, man, at the heart of what we do is a table. It's a meal with God. It's what he's been after. Do you know this? This is fascinating. That split that took place in the churches uh, when the Reformation happened with Martin Luther, something significant happened in the church. Now, I thank God for, for what did take place, the Reformation. There were things deeply off. But you have to remember that the Catholic church that we think of, and again, I, I, I'm, I don't even want to get into all that, but the Catholic church was just meant universal church. Like this was our church fathers were in this. This was a, an alive, just amazing church. When, when there was a split, one of the things that happened, and I'll illustrate this way, Charles Finney, you guys ever hear Charles Finney? 18th century, amazing revivalist preacher. He uh, was a part of the second great awakening even here in this country. He would have these massive gatherings. Now this is after the church split. And what happened was is Charles Finney had this famous cry that he gets attached with. And after he'd give these amazing sermons, and there were all these people, he would say with this, everything in him, oh, come to the altar. And everyone would come to the altar, and they would be touched. I was touched at an altar. Altars are powerful. It's a place of sacrifice. So let me, let me be clear. Altars are really, really powerful. But do you know that before the church split, and before this happened, and before the cry was come to an altar, do you know what the cry was throughout all of the first 1,500 years? Oh, come to the table. It was actually a table that sat at the heart of what they did. Put, can you put on Acts 27? Look what it says. This is, the, this is the church in the Bible. It says this. I want you to see it. Can't put it up. That's okay. No problem. I'll just read it. It's one, one verse. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Their primary purpose for gathering was actually to engage in holy communion. See, I don't believe, I have nothing wrong with this. Again, this is not an indictment. We use this. I love what God's doing in the church today. But I don't believe that a pulpit and a platform and a stage were ever meant to be the center of the church. Here's why. Here's why. We need the, the word of God being preached. We need these things. We need worship going up and leading. But what's happening, if we're not careful, is the danger is we start to gather around gifting rather than the presence in Jesus. And these men said, don't look to me. I have nothing to offer you. All there was was a table and says, everything you need is right here. Are you lost? Come to the table. That's what they would do. That was their altar call. You need salvation? Come to the table. Jesus is present right now. You need healing? Come to the table. His body was broken for you. You need deliverance? Take this blood. It breaks the power of sin. And there was just something about this church that said, don't look to us. We're not gathered around to hear someone who sits in a room, a study for 20 hours and comes out and just declares, this is what the Lord showed me. I mean, that's great. But they said, man, we're here to gather around Jesus. He's everything to us. Man, this table, that's why even part of it, why I put it right here is because I felt it was just a picture of, man, he is the center of what we do. He's the center of what we do. Look at this scripture right here, Isaiah 55. Can we pull this up? All right, awesome. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. I want, I want to read this Old Testament. This is so beautiful. Everything points to Jesus. Verse 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, 
Come to the waters. Do you hear the cry of the Father? Come, come. See, he has to invite us because we're always on the outside. It's always grace. He's got to invite us. He says, come, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, you can't, you can't buy this. You can't bring your resources. You can't bring your, your intellect. None of that can bring you to this table. One thing, a need. I am thirsty. I am hungry. I need you, Jesus. Come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Now, you got to check this out. The background of this is that the Israelites are about to go into exile. Even though Yahweh has been faithful to bring them to the land and do everything he promised, their hearts are prone to wandering and to idolatry. Don't miss this. Their hearts are prone to exalt things above God. And they're about to be displaced from their land. And what does God say is the antidote or the remedy to their hearts that keep exalting other things above him? He says, come away with me and have a meal. Come and dine with me. Like at the heart of this new covenant he's about to start is he says, you need to come away and you need to eat what I'm about to give of you. You need to drink what I'm about to give you. It's why? Because idols never satisfy and he knows that if you come away and dine with him, you will find something that so deeply satisfies your heart that you will never overextend yourself to another person or thing hoping they could do it. Like, is anyone tired of being disappointed by someone or something that you hoped would give you everything that you were lacking inside? Like, as good as my wife is, if I exalt her and look to her for what only God can give me, I will be disappointed. Some of us are extending ourselves to all these places. Things have exalted above it. And God's answer in remedy is so simple. Come away with me. Have a meal. Like if you go throughout your week and you feel like things are just got an unhealthy grip on your heart, I'm hoping what you'll find is break out the Holy Communion. And you sit before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to dine with you again. And let it lead you into the sweetest of communion after that. Are you bound? Listen, are you bound in pornography? This is what this is saying with idols. Are you bound in porn? Are you bound in anger? Is money got a grip on your heart? Does the approval of man mean more to you than the approval of God? You say, what do I do? Pastor, where do I go? The Lord says, simple, come away with me and eat. You know what the, actually the progression is? If we go into verse 3, it's come, drink, eat, live. <laughs> come, eat, drink, and live. An invitation to come to this table. But sadly, <laughs> I've seen in my life, I spent all this time Chasing out here, not realizing what I have access to. Realizing what this table is actually leading me into. I read, I read this story that was so, so good. Um, I think it was a, it's a parable, but it's still, it's impactful. It was about a man who worked with one company his whole life. He was extremely successful. And as a result, when he retired, his company said, we're going to bless you. And we're going to bless you with an around-the-world cruise. How's that sound? <laughs> Pretty awesome, right? He's excited. I love cruises. So he gets on this cruise. He's so excited. He's going to spend a lot of time on this cruise. And he goes to the main dining hall. This is a central place where he'll eat every meal. And when he sits down to eat and open up the menu with all this delicious food, his heart begins to sink because he sees a menu that is way outside of his budget. And so day after day, what he does is he just, he just eats the complimentary bread and soup. And day after day, he eats this, even though he sees all this stuff coming out. 
And finally, on the last day of the cruise, he has some boldness because he knows he's got nothing to lose. And he goes to his waiter and he says, excuse me, I've been here every day. I see these delicious steaks that come out. He says, I noticed that a lot of times they, a lot get put back and they go to waste. I can't have any of this, but do you think I could come back later tonight when these are about to be tossed and you could just give me one? And the waiter was fond of him and said, absolutely, no problem. You can have one of these steaks. He says, just one thing. I need to, I need to check your ID card. I could be fired if you were a stowaway. And the guy's like, no problem. This was purchased by my company. He shows him the ID card, and when the waiter looks at it, he has a bewildered face, and he looks back at the man, and he says, sir, this is an all-inclusive pass. You've had access to as much as you want to eat, eat with no price for every single meal. See, he had so much available to him, but in his ignorance, he settled for so little. And this is what we do. We have access to the richest affair in relationship with God, and yet we extend ourselves to other things that could never give us what God wants to give us. Madame Goyon says this, I was poor in the midst of riches and ready to perish with hunger near a table plentifully spread in a continual feast. O oh, beauty ancient and new, why have I known thee so late? Everything you want is found in Christ. I want you to go back to Matthew 22. I want to just finish off this scripture before we close. And I want to look at verse 4. There is so much that I wanted to share in this, but we'll save it for future weeks. I just want you to catch the desire of God. The power of this invitation is longing for us to come. Look how it starts in verse 4. We just read he put out an invitation and people refused to come. And then he says this, then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. He says, go back to them again. Listen, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. I have the best ready for them. And everything is ready. We'll talk about this, that this is what often hinders us from coming, is that we think we have to do something, when really we just have to trust in what he's done for us. And many miss out on this communion because of shame and all this other stuff. And then he says this, come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off to his field. One went off to his field and another to his business. And so these original guests refused. And since Adam and Eve have sinned and went into hiding, the reality is that many still refuse to answer this invitation. They actually refuse to respond to the very thing they were created for, communion with God. And then it says this in verse, I'm going to skip down a few verses to verse 9. You would think that this, this king who prepared this banquet would say, I'm done. I've come multiple times. These people, they, they don't want to come. But look what it says. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet, to this table, to this feast, anyone you find. You hear the heart of the father in this? He says, come. They refuse. He goes back to them. They, they still don't come. He says, fine. Then go find anyone who will respond to this invitation. Man, this is next week. We'll talk about the transformative power of the table. Jesus was deeply persecuted because of who he ate meals with. They actually said that the people he ate meals with were called scum. <laughs> Peter, in Galatians 2.12, see, who you ate meals with was so, so important. In this culture, and especially if you were a rabbi, you, would, you were very careful of who you shared meals with. Especially Gentiles. Peter, it's incredible. Peter was, was uh, in Galatians 2.12, He's eating with Gentiles, and he finds out that this circumcision group is about to come. 
which is this deeply religious group, and he gets afraid of eating with the Gentiles, and he backs off. And Paul has to rebuke him and say, don't do that. I thank God Jesus has never been offended at eating a meal with me. I thank God he's willing to risk his reputation to say, I'm with him. See, the problem is then the religious voice comes up and says, well, hold on. This is what they said. They said, you are overlooking their sin, Jesus. If you knew who they were, you wouldn't let them just come like that. And what actually Jesus is teaching is, no, I'm teaching you the transformative power of grace and what happens when you commune with me. For they may come one way, but they will surely not leave that way. And so his invitation is come. Come to the addicts. Come to the broken. Come to the Satanists. Come everyone. Yield your life to Jesus. You can come to this table and find what you've been looking for. Do you, you say, how, how much does he desire for me to, to have fellowship with him, communion? This is what this is pointing to. He laid down the life of his son. His son willfully laid down his life so that you could experience this. This is the weight of what we're celebrating, that at the heart of it, we can have fellowship with God. I want to illustrate it this way. Here, here's, here's how um, this happened the other night. I feel like it, it really pictures God's desire. He so desires for us to experience him this way. And the other night, my son, those of you know, he, my oldest, Caden, loves watermelon. Right? I know. Alex is laughing. We had a party for the kids, and he has to get his own because if you leave him to the whole thing, he will eat it. But as, a, but as my, yeah, his own watermelon. As his father, I find joy in giving him watermelon because of how much he enjoys it, right? So the other night, he's like, Dad, can you, can you cut me up some watermelon? He's on the couch, and I said, sure. And I go to cut it, and the juice squirts out. And I got so excited for him. I'm like, Caden, this one is so good. You're going to love this. <laughs> his eyes are like bulging, and he's all excited. And I cut it, and I give it to him, and it's one half, and it's just slurping a mess that's happening over there. And I give him the other half, and, and he just loved it. But here's the point. The point is, is that he couldn't enjoy what was on the inside until the outer thing was cracked open. <laughs> when Jesus breathed his last, last breath on the cross, he says, it is finished. And guess what happened? The veil was torn open. Why? So you could come inside and enjoy him now. Are you enjoying him? Are you dining with him? Are you feasting with him? When I watched my son go and just devour that, it brought me such joy. When you come in and commune with God, the Father's heart. You know it says when you come to the table, you minister to his heart? You could go to so many other places to look for things, but when you, little old you, come to this table and say, God, I'm here to be with you, he says, there's nothing even the angels right now in heaven can do to stir my heart like that. You stir my heart when you come to me. Man. We need to see his, 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 his desire. Revelation 3. Let me... We're getting close. Are we good? I should share a few more minutes. Some are giving me the go. Some are like, I'm out. <laughs> I promise. Give me, give me five more minutes and then we'll, we're going to come to this table. I just want you to see. I just want to set this stage for the upcoming weeks of his desire for you to fellowship with him. Revelation chapter 3. Do you remember Jesus gave these addresses to the seven churches, these letters? And there was one church called the Church of Laodicea. And what he said to them was, you guys have acquired much wealth. You've amassed all of these resources. The problem was is that they got to a place where they said, we have need of nothing anymore. And Jesus actually gives us strong. He says, actually, you say you're rich in this. He says, you're actually, you're naked. And, and you, you're missing something. And this was his response at the end. Listen to this. 
He says, here I am. This is Jesus' words, Revelation 3.20 to this church. Here I am, or behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is taking a position and he's waiting and he's knocking. For what reason? He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will he do? I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This church had become so self-sufficient in all their things that they lost sight of what was most precious to the king, which is communion with him. And he knocks. The king is waiting. He knocks on the door. I believe to churches in the heart's lives and say, let me back in. Prophetically, he lives in you as a child of God, but we've, we've put other things before him. Listen, the church may have lost sight of, our, of their priorities, but the king has never lost sight of it. It's always been fellowship first and foremost, and everything flows from that. Why does he have to knock? To come in, yes, to get attention. That door, that, that door that he's speaking of prophetically, it's a door of distraction. So caught up in so many other things, but the king is knocking, saying, I want to eat with you. When's the last time you communed with the Lord and you had fellowship with him? I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. I want to share one last scripture with you, and then we're going to partake. Not just this second, but those who will help with, uh, with communion, the, the communion team. Just hang tight. I'll call you up in a second, but just be ready. But I want you guys to hear this. And all I've laid is just one singular point. Come to the table, his desire and his heart. Here's the last scripture. On the night that Jesus would be betrayed, on the night that he would give up his life, with death lurking around the corner. This is what it says in Luke twenty-two fifteen. 15. Jesus' words, this is where he instituted the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, the Lord's Table. Listen to this. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You have to hear the heart of God in this. I love how it says in the King James, it says, with desire, I have desired. Like this is the deepest passion and longing of Jesus. And here's what he's saying. Imagine this. Seriously, imagine you're waking up today and you know you're going to die tonight. You're going to be betrayed by one of your closest followers. And Jesus comes to his men, knowing this is around the corner and says, friends, I have so passionately been waiting for this meal with you. I have desired with desire to sit and dine with you. Death is around the corner. He says, here's what I want more than anything. I want to come around a table and have fellowship with you. Faced with the prospect of agonizing death, here's what he longed for. A meal with his followers. Your last words, your last moments, those are quite significant. And Jesus, before he went to a cross, he didn't institute any strategy for the church, although that's important. He didn't put together a worship service outline, although that's important. He said, I want to have a meal with you. I want to share a meal with you. And here's, here's the last thing I, I, I want to share on this. At, this. at this table, it's so amazing because, again, I share that this becomes one of the most stuffy, rigid times of a service, Right? 
That's why we do it in discipleship groups because we really want to catch the heart of it. But at this place where Jesus sits at this table, it says everyone is reclining. But John, John reclines into his chest. You think about how it's Lord's Supper. <laughs> We're all like, okay. And we, I understand reverence, but you can have passion and joy and gratitude and freedom with reverence. And my point is that all of these men, they're not, they're not in this somber state, they're reclining. It's the most relaxed atmosphere as they're spending time with Jesus. And in this place, John reclines into the Lord. It's a reminder that when we come to this table, God's longing is for us to lean into him. Just lean into him. 